Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome to the Best Damn Camp, a Rowanverse read-long and analysis podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome to the show. Today we are continuing our timeline journey with The Titan's Curse, Chapter 7, Everybody Hates Me But The Horse, and Chapter 8, I Make A Dangerous promise. Now before I get in I just want to put a small slight announcement here that you may have seen on my social media for the podcast. I have now set up an author website. I'm finally fully diving into my writing career. I have publications coming out. I am working on my debut novel series which will be a trilogy. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to do email campaigns and like email subscription stuff but I am completely technologically inept so I don't actually know what I'm doing but hopefully eventually I will be able to figure that out or I will be able to do like a blog thing on the actual author website itself and do updates there but the website is Francesca McMahon F-R-A-N-C-E-S-C-A M-C-M-A-H-O-N dot com. That will be linked in the episode show notes. And yes, I'm doing more shameless self-promotion because I am so freaking excited. Uh, I can't wait to see where my writing career goes. And, um, you know, any support is appreciated. I will be updating when publications do go out and all these sort of things. I've commissioned an illustrator for some of my character art and... Yeah, it's it's going pretty well in that regard, and I, I'm feeling good, so I kind of just wanted to share that. So, um, yeah, just going to do that, just put that out there, and I will now carry on to what you guys are actually here for, which is my chapter analysis slash rants. Uh, so today, as always, I've got my points to focus on, and as is becoming a recurring theme with the Titan's Curse. Today I'm focusing on characters, story and generally what I thought of it. But to begin, here's the synopsis. The team is chosen and Percy is having odd man out problems. Sally is finally, finally getting what she deserves but drama does soon follow, thankfully not with our queen. With two random B and C plot lines introduced, our journey to the quest begins. That is a nice short and sweet synopsis of what these two chapters are and it pretty much sums up what is going on here. And also these chapter titles are phenomenal. Um, I, I don't know what to think of them. They don't really tie in much to what is actually happening in the chapters themselves. But... um. Yeah, that's kind of, that's a thing that is occurring. 
<laughs> so yeah let's get on to those first chapters though first chapters the first chapter of this which is chapter seven everybody hates me but the horse and here is the overview for that chapter Child labour at its finest. Seriously, someone called child services or something for this camp. The war room is wild. More for the fact that kids have a war room. Zoe and Talia need to learn to communicate a heck of a lot better. And Percy also needs to learn how to explain himself also. He also needs to very slightly get over himself. Yes, Sally the Queen has happiness and that is the only thing I will talk about for the rest of this episode. Well, kind of. The one moment I'm happy and, of course, more nightmares. Great. And now time for our regularly scheduled B-plot. And that's pretty much the summary for Chapter 7. And like I did say, I am firstly going to focus on Queen Freaking Sally. The woman has finally found some slimmer of happiness in her world outside of her child, which some people will say probably sounds bad, but you know what? Single mothers and single fathers, you know, single parents, y'all deserve some respect and being able to live a life for yourself outside of your child. And she is finally getting the happiness away because she murdered her ex husband. <laughs> um, he deserved it. We're not going to discuss this. I've talked about this before. He disgusted it. He, he, he just, he's disgusting. Disgusting. Um, but finally, oh my god, she's so happy. And the description that we get of her happiness and how she looks so relaxed and just at peace and just happy. Like, I think that's the first time we've actually had a true, pure description of Sally's happiness. And oh, my god, I love it so much. When he comes back into the room, Mr. Blowfist, also known as Paul. Paul Blowfist, who deserves... My man does, deserves some respect. The fact that he respects and cherishes Sally means he is the number one man in this entire series. Because Sally deserves it. And, like, he is such a sweetheart as well. But, like, he comes in and he's smiling down at her and she's smiling up at him and... Oh, it's just such a beautiful moment and I'm so, I'm so happy for her. She deserves the world, like seriously. But of course, my happiness is often short-lived because I also have quite a few criticisms of this chapter. One, in the fact that Chiron sucks. And you know, actually no, I just want to bring up a small thing here. Um, I know that for the way in which most people say Chiron is like Chiron, it, or other different ways, I think there's different ways. And I say Chiron because it's easier for me to say, and that's how I've always said it. I just want to point this out. Someone on, um, I did a tier list video of what Bender's um, people from Percy Jackson would be like, what, what bending in Avatar would they be? And one of the comments literally called the hell out of me for saying Chiron wrong. And I'm like, does it really freaking matter? Like, did, did, did you really care enough about my pronunciation that you took the time to comment that I was saying it wrong to you? I will admit, saying it wrong to you. I've heard many people say Chiron. Most people that I know say Chiron. Chiron is 
predominantly an American pronunciation. There are British people who do say it, there are other people who say it as well, but most people I know say Chiron. So, uh, <laughs> it just, it kind of really made me angry. I've been told a lot about my pronunciation. Some things I do know that 100% I was saying incorrectly, and that was, uh, I was saying Luke's last name is Castellian for some reason, but it's Castellan. There was another one as, oh yeah, I was saying Rick's last name and spelling it wrong. But like I've had the problems with that in the past and those were completely wrong and that was my dyslexia at play. But in this case, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and I know I'm getting too much into this, but considering what I'm about to talk about is to do with Chiron, um, I had to bring it up because, you know, whoever commented that, why do you care? But anyway, I'm going to keep saying Chiron multiple times now because if this person is listening, I kind of want them to be annoyed. Because I'm petty, guys, if you can't already tell. And I've had a bad day today, so I'm going to be extra freaking petty. Because um, <laughs> I can. Um, but yeah, so Chiron in this chapter actually kind of really peeved me off because he was kind of rude and wrong. Um, so, in the whole thing of deciding on the quest, so who's going on the quest for this is Grover, Talia, Zoe, Bianca, and Phoebe. Um, and after this, like, Percy was basically trying to, like, yelling, saying, no, I need to go on this quest, I should be on this quest. Doesn't really explain or say why he needs to go on this quest, he doesn't, ex he's had these dreams. Oh no, he has, well, he knows that about Annabeth, yeah, he knows about Annabeth, he does have another dream later. But he knows about what's going on, but he doesn't say anything about it. He's told Grover, but then he doesn't say anything else, and technically Grover could have said something, considering what he's told him. But this would have been a perfect opportunity to bring this up, to explain the reasoning for him going, but neither he nor Grover does it. And it's kind of like, if he'd said that, people would be like, yeah, actually, yeah, no, that kind of makes sense. That makes sense that you would go. But, okay, that aside... I'll get into that. Chiron describes Talia as, and I'm going to say this wrong 100%, impetuous. Um, he says that she is impetuous, and I didn't know 100% what that meant, so I googled it. And it is completely wrong from what we know of Talia so far in this book. Because this book, uh, this, 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 uh, what's the word? The definition of impetuous is someone who acts too quickly, rashly, without thought or feeling. Where? Where does this happen? All of her actions that we have seen, all of her movements, have been coordinated and planned. We saw that with the whole thing at the military school, her plan to find Bianca and Nico to help save them. Yes, later on, maybe there was a slight rashness of her going in to fight Thorn, but that's because she was trying to protect the kids. And then, I say kids, she's also a kid, but you know what I mean. Then, capture the flag. Complete, directed, coordinated plan of how to win capture the flag. That would have worked if Percy hadn't been an idiot. But none of that is acting too quickly without thought or feeling and that's the thing that comes in with it because in the dis in the description for that word it says without thought or care so it's saying that she acts rashly 
and without thought. And you know, when she's having her arguments with people, fully, completely agree. But other than that, everything that she does is very well planned and coordinated. The only rivalries that she's had is with Zoe, who she has problems with, and Percy, because they both butt heads with each other. So that that wording felt really weird to me. I was like, nowhere have we seen her be rash in her actions. We've seen her be a little bit petty <laughs> because she's not speaking to Percy at the moment because, quite rightly, he went against her. She did unintentionally zap him. He then splashed her. So then they had a fight. Um, he then obviously caused the problems at the military school. Yes, he was trying to do the right thing, but also for selfish reasons. So there's like all that stuff's going on, but that, other than those things, she hasn't actually, from what we've seen, acted rashly. And she, like, she also has a right to be petty at the moment because, you know, she's a teenager. Teenagers are petty. I was a teenager, so I know that is true. Um, but everything else. I don't know, I just found this really weird. And a really strange reason to for, for Charon to be against Talia being on this quest. Because it doesn't really explain the reasoning behind it. Like, she's not any of these things. She is coordinated and planned. Occasionally she is rushing her thoughts and later her actions if someone goes against her yes but initially no and again that's only if someone usually someone close to us because it seems like there's a past history with zoe which is relating to boys in some form which we don't really get an explanation of that yet but also her only issues have been with people that she's close to in a sense there's been no cause for concern in her battle strategy or in her quest strategy she's more capable than Percy so it just seems really weird and out of place and the reason why I say that is because also many people are seemingly encouraging Percy to go and I'm like but in the kindest way to him he's being a bit dumb at the moment and this is where it goes into the Percy bit at the moment because and this is what I keep saying he knows he's doing things wrong and acting rashly and keeps realising like almost immediately after and during sometimes that he is being dumb in those moments but yet he keeps doing it and not learning from it and expecting things to kind of be okay we had the whole thing in the first couple of chapters where he put himself and the D'Angelo's at risk. He's then gone against Talia in Capture the Flag, which led to them losing when they definitely could have won because Talia, as she said, ended up there, but the flag was already gone, so they he'd screwed it up. And now, of course, he's having this whole thing of wanting to go on this quest. And we know what Percy's like because this happened in the previous book. He's going to go anyway. <laughs> that's what he does but people are encouraging him to do that and just it's confusing to me because when behavior like this is occurring in a story behavior that for all intents and purposes is negative and is having 
bad reactions and fallouts from it because of all the negative things that have been happening after Percy has been doing these things. That I know he wants to go and save Annabeth, but at this point, I want him to fail. I want him to fail in his quest because he's acting rashly. He's acting kind of idiotic in his actions because he's not thinking these things through. He's going based on instinct, which puts him and others at risk sometimes. So the only reason why I'm kind of like, I want him to fail is because so far he hasn't. He hasn't failed in any way. So there's been no true consequences for his actions. So the only reason why I'm thinking I want him to fail, even though, like, obviously I love Annabeth. Annabeth is a beaut. But I want him to fail at this point because his whole goal is for saving her. I want him to fail because he doesn't deserve to win because he's not going to learn from his actions. He's going to think that every single time he deliberately does something rash and stupid and acts on instinct, it's going to work out for him when that is completely and utterly unrealistic. And I think this is this is admittedly a flaw with hero journey sort of stories and, and hero stories in general. While there are occasionally small fallouts, like Steve Monsters, it was Tyson's death and Percy being turned into a, was it a gerbil? Something like that, a rodent of some kind. But there were no other consequences. Like, nothing bad happened, really. Because Tyson came back. (laughs) He got turned back into a human, so it was all good. So there was no actual negative outlet. Even the, the mini bad guy of Tantalus was sent away. So that was dealt with without him having to do anything. Lightning Thief as well. Like his his mum is returned. And admittedly that wasn't really his fault with her being taken. Because that was a deliberate action. But like all of his actions in that didn't have any consequences. There were no consequences. I think that's something that I... I've noticed is that so many of his actions just have not had any consequences this is the first time we've seen them in the case of Annabeth the fluctuating um, relationship with Talia and a few other things that will and will come down the line which we'll get to and I think I'm just finding it really frustrating because a character who is a hero who is rash and kind of dangerous in the things that he does should be facing so much more consequences than he has he hasn't learned anything at this point he's still at that point where he believes that he should be on every quest he gets belligerent when he isn't like the dude (laughs) literally refuses to go to dinner because he's upset that he doesn't get to go on the quest like it's just it's kind of frustrating that so far he's having very in-book arcs that can kind of set back because he then has stopped learning from the lessons previously. I don't know if you guys agree with me and honestly most people probably aren't going to agree with me but for me if a hero doesn't have consequences for their actions 
the book loses all sense of oh what's the terminology it loses all sense of urgency like i want to be anxious whenever he does something that in my head is kind of stupid but there never is there's never a consequence of what he's done and so I think that's why it's kind of frustrating that he could pretty much do anything and he personally will not face any consequence other people around him possibly but even that we haven't we haven't seen any consequence of any of his decisions so I think that that's something that I would I need to kind of have happen to feel like there is something coming from this story and and from his journey as a character but uh so far nope (laughs) so um that's kind of it that's just a mini rant about hero stories there so i will move on now to my next rant (laughs) to do with chapter eight i make a dangerous promise and here is the overview for chapter eight our side quest begins environmental call outs and shout outs the cowfish it's actually adorable. Gotta love seemingly pointless filler, though. What is it with these boys spying on hunters? No wonder they avoid them. An awkward not-promise makes me a little bit nervous. Then the secret journey begins. Now, you can kind of see where I'm going when I mention filler, because this chapter literally just feels like a filler episode on a TV anime or cartoon um because (laughs) at current other than the final bit with nico and percy making a sort of promise of like i promise i'll try to keep her safe that that's kind of what he says basically like he's not making any guarantees that she's going to be okay he's not making any guarantees that he can guarantee her safety so it's not it's a not promise is what i'm calling it um, other than that, this entire chapter felt pointless as anything. And I will admit, just to you guys reading along, the importance comes later. But it right now, it's so insignificant that this chapter was so freaking boring that I ended up speed reading through it. And I think obviously it's, it's more so because at the moment I'm going through these chapters so, like like two chapters at a time. So I'm going through it at a slower pace. I'm not able to kind of read through these things quicker and get to the more exciting parts. That I'm probably getting more frustrated just because that's not how my mind works. I need to read quite a lot um, just to feel satisfied. But th- this chapter just felt so filler. We've got a... <laughs> We've got a B plot and a C plot literally happening in a filler chapter for things that are going to be important down the line but aren't important or significant at all right now except for the Nico not promise and the overhearing of something to do with the general um, which doesn't really give us any insight anywhere except the idea that Zoe has a connection to this person in some form or or she knows who this general person is but yeah this this chapter it, it's such a it's a non-chapter is basically why i call it because it it's it doesn't have any significance until later 
I think there's just in general this is the one thing that I do have some issues with with adventure fantasy stories whether it be in book tv or film format or at least it's the case I have with PGO is that so many side aspects that do have later significance even the later significance isn't even that important and like I'll I'll get to that when we get to that aspect but it's just literally all I can think it is is that these are just extra dramatic problems that also often end up being a problem solver more often than not at the end but they're they're used for dramatic tension it's usually resolved very quickly there's only one case where it isn't and some people who know the series will know which one it is and it was the stupidest one that I think I've ever read and it's the biggest like critique that I have against Rick in his characterization and character stories but yeah I just these side stories just feel like random dramatic tension within a chapter it, particularly in this chapter we've got the whole cow sea serpent thing trapped under a thing slight drama and random hey Percy's still a hero sort of moment Nico spying on the hunters with the intention of following them and then having Percy say uh, promise to look after Bianca that's it that that's all that happens in this chapter literally i don't know if if anything this chapter could have emerged slightly with the previous one because this is i think there's even like four pages like if that it was just such a non-chapter like i don't know it's just we get the the so obviously we've got the promise moment here which we get the feeling is going to be significant but this does everything about this chapter just feels really meh like it i've got no feeling towards it well i have a feeling of frustration towards it but there's nothing that feels important other than the promise because of the chapter title if that wasn't the chapter title we wouldn't really have much of a focus on that promise aspect because the chapter title makes it feel foreboding if we didn't have that we probably wouldn't care as much and I will admit, I do know that these things are important. Because it's like the whole um, Chekhov's gun. Something that has to, that is mentioned somewhere has to be significant in the final act, basically. Um, so these things, like they are going to have importance because they wouldn't be included otherwise. But at the same time, you kind of also don't know that. Because we had that whole thing with um, Krusty's Beds pointless story literally added nothing to it completely insignificant same with Cece's Island completely insignificant it just there's so many it's just like ah we need some more mythology based aspects here because we are doing Greek mythology so we need something extra and I'm like really there's yeah I just I think the thing is, and I'm not going to talk too much about it because I'll be bringing it up when we come to that point, but one of the, both of them really could be completely removed because they're both ridiculous, but one of them 100% shouldn't have existed in this storyline because not only does it have a plot convenience aspect that comes later on, but also it makes no sense. 
I don't understand. It's probably a mythology-based thing, but we don't bloody need it. Like, if... Why bring it up now <laughs> when it wasn't significant earlier on? I don't know. It's just... It's something that just confuses, annoys, and slightly frustrates me. Well, not slightly. You can hear it in my voice. It does frustrate me because I'm just... I don't understand... Uh, I think it's just to summarise really this is just the unfortunate thing that I find often with Rick's work and with writers as a whole sometimes these extra plot elements that are included just for the sake of it usually to add more drama and conflict within the story to give some character dynamic aspects and character conflicts later down usually for another book as well they often also don't fit with the tone or the personal conflict or drama in this current story. They're just, they just feel tagged on. They don't fit. It's like get those block box things that kids have trying to put the square in a circle hole. That's what these plot lines often feel like. And I think that's what's coming here. This filler chapter... We get the sense that these scenes are going to be important because we wouldn't have focused on them anyway, e either way, especially in one chapter as a whole. We wouldn't have focused on it. But as at current, it just feels like random things going into a storyline that doesn't need them. And I'm going to be honest with you guys, it doesn't get anybody further down the line. And it just kind of falls flat. And it's, it's frustrating because it could have been so interesting. Well, it could have been interesting because it shouldn't have been in it. But anyway, um, I'll get to those later on. I, I shouldn't have been jabbering on too much about it. But yeah, that those are my thoughts on Chapter 7 and Chapter 8 of The Titan's Curse. Oh no, it's just... It as a whole is just a little bit frustrating because... I don't know. It's, I feel like it's an unimportant aspect because you, you need things to feel significant in the moment as well. If they're going to be important later on, they've got to feel significant at the time. The promise aspect only feels significant because of the chapter title. But I'll stop now because I'm, I'll keep going. <laughs> so, yeah, those are my thoughts for chapter 7 and chapter 8. If you guys don't agree with me, email me <laughs> let me know your thoughts on how ag <laughs> aggressively unhappy I'm being with these things I feel so bad like I still do love the series I feel like I need to preface every episode with this now I still love the books I still love the series I am just very hypercritical because that's the kind of person that I am I do still enjoy the series when I'm just flicking through them because they're a fun little fluff read as well um, as having like the, the deeper moments to it but yeah I just want to be really hypercritical because I think that's something you need to do is alongside enjoying things as they are being hypercritical is something that's important for for anyone who is wanting to be a writer as, as well being hypercritical has helped me develop as a writer in turn so I I kind of recommend doing it <laughs> so but um, anyway, I want to thank you guys so much for joining me today for chapters 7 and 8. Be sure to join me next Wednesday as we continue our Riordanverse journey then. 
to plug where you can find that podcast we are available on spotify apple Podcasts, audio boom stitcher and deezer in the meantime between episodes you can find the best damn camp on various social media at best damn camp pod on instagram and twitter if you want to email me with your own thoughts you can email the best damn camp at hotmail.com and i will read it out at the end of the show if you want to support me making this content check me out on patreon at a healthy dose of fran where i have a discord going alongside where you can interact with me and get some insight on what will be coming up in the podcast be sure to also check out my youtube channel a healthy dose of fran for more percy jackson content although i am focusing a little bit more on avatar at the moment just because I'm engaging with that a little bit more as a whole. And of course, drop me a follow at a healthy dose of Fran on Instagram and at a dose of Fran on Twitter. Again, also check me out on my author profile website, francescamcmahon.com, because that will make me happy. <laughs> um, I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in again. As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter, and I'll see slash speak to you guys next time. Toodle. <laughs>